Let's continue on with our, our look at the book of Ephesians. And uh, I hope you have been enjoying um, this just initial jump into Ephesians. I think what we're going to find as we go through Ephesians, at first um, we're going to have to take these really little chunks because Paul lays out all these, he just like throws a word out that if, um, you could just skim over it, but if you unpack it, you realize he's saying these incredible things. But then he begins in Ephesians to repeat some stuff. And so we won't have to then jump into it again. We'll say hey, we talked about that. But, but right now, for today, we're going to continue on looking at what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians. It's important to remember that, to the Christians in Ephesians, Christians who lived in a very difficult place to serve God. It's one reason we chose it. Um, that Paul said, hey, I lived successfully as a Christian there, and I want you to live successfully as a Christian there in Ephesus. And he would look at us today in, in Wisconsin and say, hey, it's a tough place, but if you walk with me the right way and you'll understand the right things, you'll do the right things, you'll be a successful um, follower of Jesus also. So, so I'm hoping we've been finding um, that what he wrote to the people in Ephesus is incredibly applicable to us and helpful to us in our, in our spiritual journeys. And so um, we are um, just into this first chapter, actually in the, in the first right now in the first full sentence, and we're looking at this one long run-on sentence, right, verses 3 to 14, that Paul wrote to describe the great blessings that are found in the Christian life. Blessings, and this is the point, and I'm going to make it every week when I talk about this, at least one more week. Blessings that are uniquely Christian. These are things, the, I, the longer I live, the more stuff loses its luster, the more I realize how often we as Christians settle for blessings the world offers, and we miss the real blessings that God has. We settle for things that you can buy with money. And he's saying, I got so much more. So these blessings are uniquely Christians. Things that those that don't have Jesus um, could never experience, but also those of us who do know Jesus can miss, if we don't take time to look at them, unpack them and have the Lord reveal them. It's revelation. Reveal them into our lives and have the fullness of them affect us. So for today, let's just look at two more verses that talk about another one of these blessings, blessing that Paul calls, remember what? spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That was verse 3. And now he's going on, verse 4 and on, to say these spiritual blessings in heavenly places, here's what they are. Some of them are. So Ephesians chapter 1, going to look at verses 7 and 8 today. You there? Got your Bible? Who's got their Bible? Hold that thing up. Your iPhones, yeah, I get that. I get that. It's your Bible, that's great. Ephesians. One, starting in verse 7, verse 7 and 8. In him, and who's that? Who's, is, it, is yours capitalized? Yeah, who's it talking about? Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Well, the first thing we need to look at, if we're going to understand what Paul is trying to describe another blessing, he said before, you're adopted, you're, you know, you're chosen, all these different things. Well, today, um, he talks about, starts off by talking about this, this word. He says, you, are, you have been redeemed, this word redemption. He's going to say redemption, to understand redemption, is a blessing. He, and he wants us to understand what, is the, what do we get 
or we understand when we get the understanding of what it means to be redeemed in Christ. Paul says that in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. So what's that, what's that mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? Well, the literal translation of the word means deliverance by the payment of a ransom. Deliverance by the payment of a ransom. In the Apostle Paul's day, when he wrote this to people, they understood what he meant. How many of you have ever been kidnapped? Or held for ransom or been a slave? None of us. But he under, the people of their day understood what he was talking about here. It was kind of everyday common talk when he said, you've been redeemed. In Paul's day, it was a more understood concept. And it was a term that was used to describe the purchasing of a slave at a slave market. You see, what he was talking about is that if a man or a woman had become a slave as a result of being captured or indentured or conquered by another person, he could be redeemed by a relative if the relative was able to pay the required price. So they're a slave. So somebody could say, basically, redeem, I'm going to buy you. I'm going to pay the required price. Redemption is delivering someone from slavery, from the bondage that they're in, by paying the price of their, of their um, ransom. So what Paul is doing here is he's explaining that that is what God does for someone when they come to him through Jesus. That what he does is he redeems them. He delivers them, or he sets them free from the slavery or the bondage that, get this, that all people find themselves in from the day they're born because of sin that's in the world. And I was trying to think, how could we really understand kind of the, the fullness of what he's trying to talk here about without just talking about slavery, because that's not really our context. And I, I came across a story a while back, and, and I remembered it, and I thought, this illustrates the, 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 the situation of redemption. And the story goes something like this, and it could apply right here, that, that there was a city, and the city was on the side of a large lake. Kind of sound like maybe Lake Michigan in Port Washington. And in that city on the side of a large lake was a little boy. And this little boy, um, he loved the water, but as much as he loved the water, he loved boats. And so he loved boats so much that he, he talked to his dad, and, and, his, and he, he talked his dad into going to the hobby store and finding a, a, a model boat. And they, together in the garage, they built this beautiful hobby boat. And this boat was just the pride of this little boy's life. And, and he would go down to the, to the side of the water, and he'd put it in the water, and he'd just let it float around and sail it in the water. And, and he would do that day after day. And it was kind of just the thing he loved to do. He loved his boat. And in his mind, he'd imagine he's on the boat, you know, and he's going across the waves. And he kind of lived in this little world of this boat being everything to him. And so some, one day, he's down at the side of the water, and, and he puts his boat in the water. And it might have been like it was Saturday morning uh, for the run walk with 50, 60 mile an hour winds blew up, you know, and thunder and lightning. And it, it got away from him in a little boat washed off into the, into the water and he could see it but he couldn't go out into the water to get it because the water was too deep and the boat kept going further and further and further and finally he couldn't see the boat and the kid's distraught. And he, he goes home and he's crying and he tells his dad and he tells his mom and, and they're trying to console him but you all the little kids, you can't console them when something they think is so important is taken from them and, and he's so upset and he can't find a thing and day after day he goes back to the water and he, he goes to the water's edge so he goes down to the lighthouse and he's looking out every day, where is my little boat? Maybe the wind will change and my little boat will blow back to shore. Well, he doesn't see it day after day. And so he's just kind of going on with life and he's still upset. And he's walking through town one day. 
and he looks in the window of a store and he sees his boat. And he runs in the store and he says to the owner, you have my boat, you found my boat. And the guy goes, I don't know what you're talking about, son. That's my boat. He goes, no, no, I built that boat with my dad. And he said, no, that's my boat, I own it. He said, see, there was this fisherman, he was out in the lake and, and he was out there and he saw this boat and he picked it up and he brought it to town and he wanted to make a few bucks and he came into my store and said, want to buy this boat? He said, yeah, I'll give you a few bucks for the boat. And he gave him a few bucks. And he said, I thought it's a nice boat, so I put it on display. And he said, son, I'm sorry, it's not your boat, it's my boat. He says, but it can be your boat if you want to buy it. And the boy looks at the little price tag and it says how much it is and he doesn't have any money. So he goes home and he says, dad, mom, how can I make money? So he starts cutting lawns and he starts raking and he starts, you know, doing any odd jobs he can do. And kids, guess what? Kids are supposed to actually do that stuff. Odd jobs, they still do that, where you go and cut your neighbor's lawn, get a couple of dollars. And they're earning money. And he earns enough money, and he finally saves it up, and he goes into the store. And he says, here, here's the money. I want my boat. And the owner takes the boat off the shelf, and he gives it to the little boy. And the little boy holds the boat in his hands. And he says, now, you are twice mine. He says, because I created you in the beginning and now I bought you back when you were lost. That's what redemption is. That's the picture he's trying to get us of what God has done in our lives. He created us in the beginning, but sin enters the world and we're lost. And he said, I will earn the money. I will do what has to be done to buy you back. Redemption is payment of a price for a ransom. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. The price that was paid not, wasn't something you could earn by raking leaves and cutting lawns, but it was the price of the blood of Jesus himself and the object that he bought back was our souls. That all humanity has been lost in the slave market of sin and is powerless to do anything to set themselves free. But Jesus has purchased his church with the infinite price of his own blood. And scripture doesn't just say this here where Paul was talking about, but throughout scripture, it tries to get us to understand that he purchased us with his blood. In the book of 1 Peter, the first chapter, he writes this, Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down from you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all by his blood and have obtained eternal redemption for us. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus, talking about himself, said, Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. See, friends, our redemption cost the life of Christ. His precious blood was the price for our souls, and he paid it all. Friends, what's going on in Ephesians 1 is Paul's trying to just go on and on about the blessings of being in Christ. Is Paul is describing the blessing of a Christian knowing that God paid the ultimate price in order to set them free from sin. You say, when people say this about Christianity, well, Christianity is rules and regulations. It's all those rules you can't do. Well, first of all, it's not, and it's completely a wrong view 
Because what it is is when you really get what God did for you and he sets you free, why would you possibly want to run back into that? He sets you free. He redeemed you. You understand what it costs for him to set you free. Why would any po- anybody possibly want to run back into sin when you know that God came and rescued you from the slave market, that he, that he worked to purchase you when he created you once and then he bought you back? He bought you and he set you free from sin. Um, through redemption, he gives the Christian power over sin. And we can overcome sin and we can overcome temptation because we have been redeemed by Jesus, set free from the sin market, set free from sin so that when people say, Pastor, I just can't overcome, I say, no, you can in Christ. That in Christ He has bought you. He has set you free. And if you will turn to Him, He will enable you to overcome any sin or any temptation that is in your life. Why? I know it's absolutely assured because He redeemed us. He bought us from the slave market and He set us free. But friends, you know what? When Paul's talking about redemption, Paul doesn't just stop there in describing the blessing of redemption in verses 7 and 8. He goes on to say that when you are redeemed through His blood, this incredible, unimaginable gift that He's given us, we don't deserve it, we're slaves, we're lost, and He pays His own blood to buy us, that when He did that, then also we receive something else. Then we also receive the forgiveness of our sins by His blood. Look at verse 7 again. He says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. You see, not only are we set free from current sin, I've been set free from the slave, in the slave market, but we also are forgiven of all our sins, of all that we have done, of all the transgressions. I've had so many people say, I could never be a Christian. You don't know what I've done. Redemption says it doesn't matter what you've done. All your sins are forgiven. Scripture says that the only way to deal with man's sin problem is to have sin forgiven by God, and that happens when He redeems us with His blood. Jesus, is, Jesus purchased us with the price of His blood, and His blood washes away our sins. We are forgiven when we are redeemed. We used to sing songs about being washed in the blood. Friends, it's because that's what redemption is about. Redemption washes away our sins when we are forgiven as we are redeemed. When Jesus buys us with his blood, the blood brings total forgiveness of our sins. There is nothing that you have done that can't be forgiven because his shed blood washes you clean. Jesus said it himself on that last supper when he sat with his disciples and he passed the cup from person to person. He said this, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. Jesus said, I can forgive, and in redemption, I will forgive all your sins. Praise the Lord, church. When He redeems us, He also forgives us. We can experience the joy of sins forgiven. I don't know if you realize this or not, but that is a uniquely Christian thing. We're talking about blessings that no one else can experience. Being forgiven is a, in all the world, in all religions, in all philosophies, only Christianity offers forgiveness of sins. It's the, you know, other or, or, um, religions or philosophies can offer the idea of, of sins just being overlooked. 
They don't count anymore. But that doesn't do anything. It doesn't do away with them. But only Christianity do we have this idea of sins being totally forgiven, done away with, and never to be brought up again. Scripture repeatedly expresses this, tries to give word pictures to express the fact that he completely does away with sins so that we can experience the joy and the blessing that he wants for us to have the freedom. Remember, deliverance from slavery is about freedom. Deliverance from the slavery of sin is about experiencing freedom. And so throughout the scriptures, he tries to express all different word pictures to say, this is how I actually do away with your sins. And, and I have a, some scriptures, Stephanie, there's a slide here of some different scriptures, and I wanted them all on one screen, so they're a little small. But these are all places where he's trying to describe throughout scripture the idea of this in redemption. Sins are completely gone. Not just overlooked, gone. First one in Psalm 103, it says, as far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? All the way, right? All the way. Never, they don't touch ever again. They're, they're as far away from each other as they can be. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, God, removed our transgressions or our sins from us. In Isaiah 44, he says this, I have swept away your offenses, swept away like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist, Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Think of the mist that rises off the the lake in the morning. When it goes up and it disappears, where does it go to? I don't know. Are you going to see it again? Nope, it's gone. He's saying that's what your sins are like. In Micah 7, he says this, You will hurl, meaning God, hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. He's trying to paint the picture there. You go out in the middle of Lake Michigan. And you take something, and you, a coin, and you throw it over when the water's a thousand feet deep. And you go back to shore. Are you ever going to find that thing again? No. He's trying to say, once I throw them in there, they're gone. And in 1 John, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll make us pure. Pure means you don't have any more junk, right? When they purify gold or purify silver, they process it in a way that the junk is gone, the non-silver, the non-gold is gone, and it's pure. It's the same all the way through. He says that's what happens with us. He forgives our sins, and we're, all, we're the same. We're pure. We're holy all the way through. In Christ, sins are forgiven. That's the point he's trying to make. It's not about your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. And I'm afraid, friends, so often in Christianity we still fall into that cycle of just trying to outweigh good deeds with bad deeds. He says, no. He says, all the bad is gone when we are redeemed. He just washes it away. He throws it in the sea. It floats away like the mist of a cloud. Now, church, there is something very important to grasp at this point of what Paul's saying. Something that is being challenged every day in the world around you more than it's ever been challenged before. And it's this, and you need to understand it. And you will be an oddball for believing it. You're completely unlike most of the people in your neighborhoods and at your workplaces and in the, in the community around you and for sure in the world. And it's this. Redemption and forgiveness only come one way. Through Jesus. His shed blood is the only price that could be paid 
to accomplish redemption and be the means of forgiveness. Grace is Jesus doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, redeeming us from the slavery of sin. Paul's trying to make this point here. He says it's all available, but it's only in Christ. Have you, and the world will tell you that's not true. The world will tell you there's all kinds of other ways. But Christianity, the scriptures say, it's only one way. Have you noticed something in this long run-on sentence from verse 3 to verse 14? That Jesus is said to be the means of salvation or redemption just over and over and over and over and over, either through his name or through pronouns describing his name. Let me read verses 3 through 14. Remember, this is one long, one long run-on sentence, and I'm hoping you've been reading it. I've been encouraging you to keep reading the book of Ephesians through and through and, and keep reading where we're going so that, so that not only you hear what I'm saying, but God will speak to you and put it all together. But just listen and say to, my, to yourself, wow, you think maybe Paul's trying to make a point here. So starting verse 3 of Ephesians 1, all the way down to verse 14. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him, which is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And remember something, everybody says they want to get to, to the God. Oh, we all worship the same God. He's saying right here, the only way to God himself is through Jesus Christ. This is what he's trying to, the point he's making over and over here. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself or to the Father or to God, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, which is Jesus. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purchased in him or in Jesus, which with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, in him or in Christ also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after his counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory, in him or in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him or in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, do you think just maybe Paul is trying to make a point? Thirteen times in that one long sentence, he says, you know what? Salvation, redemption, only come one way, in Him, through Christ, Jesus, God's gift of grace. You know, friends, you might not remember 99% of anything else I say about the book of Ephesians in this entire series. Sometimes I don't remember what I say five minutes after I said it, and that's the truth. But let me tell you this. Never forget this one point of the whole book. It's all about Jesus. Only Jesus saves, only Jesus redeems. There's no other way. A little while ago, 
I was listening to a radio talk show. The host, um, as I could figure out, so I think I'm right about this, was a moral, I thought the person was moral, Jewish female that was on the radio um, talking, and she was giving advice on radio. And she was saying some good things. I was like, yeah, she's got some good things to say. And she said something about the nations, meaning America, need to return to religious faith. And I'm going, oh, it's like this. In order to raise moral children. Talking about the, just the collapse of our culture. And saying, hey, we need morality in our kids and we need to return to raising our kids um, to religious faith. And as she was talking, she said something that just to her was so flippant and she said it and it was so incredibly wrong and it, and it broke my heart to hear it because I'm thinking millions and millions and millions and millions of people are hearing her talk. And she said that, yeah, we need to teach our kids about God. I'm like, well, that's good. But she said it didn't matter which religious faith we chose to do that through because she said in truth, all religions follow the same God anywhere, anyway. Which, by the way, she's not odd in thinking this. That is the predominant view of all of America. And that is a common view amongst many people in America and around the world who say that they are followers of Jesus Christ. It's a common. Study after study says it's true. They will say it's not just about Jesus. Well, after reading Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, do you think that the Apostle Paul would agree with that radio personality? No, right? Over and over and over he repeats it. I think he's looking down the road to 2015. He's writing to those people there, but he's saying, you know what? Them people in Port Washington are going to need my help. And I'm going I'm to repeat it so many times that they can't possibly miss the point that I'm going to say the name of Jesus or pronouns referring to him as the way of blessing and redemption so many times that you can't miss the point that it's always only about Jesus. You know, I will agree with that woman on the radio um, about one thing. People may all be trying, at least it's true, trying to worship the one true God. I really think that's true. But according to the one true God himself, revealed in Jesus, recorded in God's word, there is only one way to God himself. And that one way is through his son, Jesus. That's not my idea. It's not a church's idea. According to the word and according to the revelation of Christ, it's God's idea. He sent Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As Paul says it here in Ephesians 1.7, one needs to be redeemed through his blood. Who's his blood? Jesus' blood. Remember something in this universalistic society that tries to make everything the same, trying to say all roads lead to heaven, every, you know, we even try to make men and women the same. Right? Remember, this is just truth. Mohammed didn't die for anyone's sins. Never claimed to. Buddha never hung on a cross to redeem anyone from the slavery of sin. Not even Moses, as great of a leader as he was, or the Apostle Paul, who I think is probably the most brilliant Christianist ever lived, could shed their blood as the perfect sacrifice that could redeem or buy back man from the bondage 
of sin. Only Jesus, who is God, could do that. And only Jesus, who is God, did that. I want you to, I want you to pay attention or listen and follow me with what Peter, the Apostle Peter, said about this, about no other person being able to do it. When he spoke on the day of Pentecost about Jesus as the only way to salvation. And I'm going to read a long section, which at this point in the sermon is usually dangerous because I'll put you to sleep. But we're almost done. But I want you to hear what Peter's talking to this whole crowd, thousands and thousands of people. And he's trying to talk about the centrality of Christ. And he's also trying to say that Jesus is the only one who could do it. And even the people they loved as the greatest prophet in their mind of all times, David, couldn't do it which then is going to go to talking about the fact that Muhammad couldn't do it or Buddha couldn't do it or anybody else. Oprah can't do it. Number one religion in America right today. It is. It really is. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. This is Peter preaching in the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's fallen upon them. He prophesies first from the prophet Joel from 400 years earlier, and then he goes on to preach to the crowd, and as a result of the sermon, 3,000 people get saved in one instance. In verse 22 he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in, the, in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predestined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hand of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And here's what he's going to start saying. It could only be Jesus. No other man could do it. For David, and David was their great prophet, David says of, of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, and so that I will not be shaken. He's talking about David writing in the Psalms. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay, You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. He's quoting Psalms there. Now he goes on. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear, which was was all pouring of the Holy Spirit they had just gone experienced. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, which means change direction. Change your mind, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. 
Look at that. He's trying to make this point. He's saying David was a great man. They all knew him to be that. He was a warrior. He was a prophet. God spoke to him. He wrote the Psalms. He was a great man. But he couldn't redeem mankind. Nor did he think he could. He looked ahead. And he said, someone's coming. Friends, no man, no prophet can do it. No other belief system can do it. Mohammed can't and Buddha can't. It was God's plan for Jesus to accomplish the redemption of mankind. And that's what he's done. Church, it's not man's plan that says Jesus is the only way. It's God's plan that says Jesus is the only way. And it doesn't matter what any person in our culture thinks about it. It doesn't matter if they agree with it or disagree with it. It doesn't matter if they say, well, you're not being tolerant. It doesn't matter. Friends, let's not be deceived by a culture that is universalistic, is becoming more and more universalistic, saying that all roads lead to heaven. All roads don't lead to heaven. Don't let your kids, don't let your grandkids, don't let your, your, your neighbors and your friends believe the lie. Teach them what God's Word says now more than ever before. Friends, this issue isn't about tolerance. It's not about fairness. It's about truth. It's about heaven and hell. It's that real. It's about truth. And there is still truth. This whole world that says there's no such thing as absolute truth is wrong. The Bible says there is truth. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm telling you, you, we live in a world where that is being challenged every day. And you know what? It's not the thing we argue about. It's not the thing you fight about. It's the thing you know to be true. And you live it. And you teach it. Jesus is the only way. So we ask ourselves the same question. That those men, he said men of Israel, when Peter talked, those men and women on the day of Pentecost asked Peter a question. What shall we do? And his answer was, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. In other words, he's saying, repent. Change from your way of living to following after God. Follow him. And he says, be baptized. In other words, walk in obedience. Walk in a life Walk in, in relationship, in a trusting relationship with Jesus. Yes, be baptized, but beyond that, live for Christ. That He's the only one. Don't be ashamed of that. You know what? It's going to be harder and harder to say that as the days continue. But this is something, the thing, that we can never give up, and we will never give up at this church. Jesus is the only way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. You join me in prayer. Lord, we've come to the section of Scripture that has so much to say about what you've done for mankind. Lord, we take 30 minutes and we look at it and we try to unpack it and say the, look at the big picture and see it all. And Lord, it's almost mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. I know I can't even grasp all that it means for you to have bought us from the slave market of this world, bound by sin, that we're hopeless, helpless, 
and that you love us so much that you sent your very own Son, Jesus, into this world to buy us back, like that little boy with the boat, to buy us back. You created us, and we drifted away. We didn't even know it. It happened before we were ever even thought of or born. Mankind drifted away, and we were born into that mess. But you bought us back. God, let that reality sink into our hearts for a minute. That you love us that much. And I'd ask this question as we're here. First of all, you say you know Jesus as your Savior. Are you really living your life in a way that says Jesus is the center of my world, the only way? I don't say that in a condemning way. I say that in a way of of maybe worry, concern. Because friends, it's so easy to drift away. It's so easy to let the things of the world creep in and become more important. But Jesus wants to be the center of our world. I would just say this. We live a life of repentance where we're evaluating and re-examining and redirecting. If you just feel the Lord's calling you to redirect, just take some time right now and tell the Lord how you want to be all in with Him. Between you and Him, all in with Him. But maybe you're here and Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard about this. Maybe you've never even heard really the truth of Jesus before. Something inside of you is saying, this is for me. That something inside of you that's saying, this is for me, is the Spirit of God. He died to redeem all mankind. And He gives the offer to everyone. Everyone on the globe that if you'll come to Christ, as, Paul, as Peter said, repent, change direction, and receive Christ. He says, be baptized, which is something that we all do when we follow Christ. But the initial thing is to say, I need Jesus. And give yourself to Him and commit to Him. Maybe you're here today you've never done that. As we're in this moment of prayer, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and even though it might not be all that culturally acceptable to do because we don't ever want to put anybody on the spot, you say, I know I need Jesus. And as our really our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and just a moment between you, me, and God, and you say, but today, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to turn away from my old life, and I want to commit to following Jesus. I want Him to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you today, I want you to do something bold. I want you just to raise up your hand. I won't call you out or embarrass you. I just want you to pray for it. Just raise up your hand right now and say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. doesn't matter if you're 8, if you're 108. You say, I need Jesus, and I want to today take the step of receiving Christ into my life. Just right now. Say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, God, that you are the Redeemer that you set us free. God, help us now as your church to live in the fullness of that, to live lives that are free 
from walking back into the junk of the world, back into the junk of sinfulness, and that we live, God, lives where you are just the, the center, that you are everything, and that, God, we live in relationship with you, and that, that blessing gives us what the world could never have, joy and contentment with God the Creator. So Lord, let that reality sink in and bless your church family today. God, help us to walk this week in the reality, just this this lightness of knowing God purchased me. He loves me that much and I want to live with you. Help that really transform how we interact. Transform what we do. Let that reality change us from the inside out. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. If you need prayer this morning, myself and Pastor Mitch will be here to pray with you. When you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, go and have an awesome day living in the reality of the blessing that you have been redeemed and forgiven if Jesus is your Savior and Lord. And let other people you know, you encounter this week, know that that's for them also. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Christ. You are